daughter's uh, wedding celebration, and I, uh, I warned everyone there. I said, look, if we don't have somebody step forward and volunteer, I'm going to do it. And, and Larry took the bullet for you guys, so you, you all owe him a lot. Uh, if you're a small child, this is the time to head for uh, downstairs, and I'm going to start the Facebook live thingy. There we go. And uh, the folks in Facebook world do not get to hear me sing uh, today. They should be grateful. Uh, Let's pray in preparation for the word this morning. Heavenly Father, um, I I pray that you would help me to be focused as I... uh, as I uh, bring the gospel this morning, as I as I preach the word, I I pray that you would help me to to be focused um, in in unpacking the treasures that are that are um, in your scriptures. I pray that that folks would hear from you today and they would know you more. That we would, as a as a community, become more like Christ. That we would draw into your presence and be your people um, through the preaching of the word. Lord God, and most of all, that we would be people of the word. Um, in Christ's name, Amen. I have a visual aid today. Um, when I worked at the children's home, we had a high ropes course. Are you all familiar with these things? It's basically telephone poles with ropes between them and like a, like a rigging system so that you don't fall to your death, ideally. And um, we, you, know, you would climb up and you would like walk across. Each of them had a different challenge you had to accomplish. And so one was like a... Uh, another telephone pole between two poles and you would walk across the pole like in the whole objective was to practice you know walking between these two points on this thing while 40 feet up in the air Um, I think John has built these things uh, in fact and and is probably more of an authority on the subject than I am Uh, but we uh, we would do uh, groups where where you would talk about um, perception and um, the stress of you know the situation you're in and how to be in the moment and and it's interesting we had uh, I think six different high ropes elements and I managed to successfully complete all of them but one we had a telephone pole which was just cut off at the top and you would climb up to the top of it get yourself to stand on this one spot and then you would jump out and hit the hit a bell that was hanging and I could never get up on top of this pole, um, no matter how. I mean, I tried and tried and tried, and I, I just I tried it probably 30 times in the seven years I was there, eight, nine, nine, eight in the years I was there, and I never managed to do it without falling off. And it's just funny because we had a low version of it that was like three feet off the ground, and I could do it then. But there was something about being 40 feet up in the air or whatever, 30 feet up in the air, that made it a very different equation. Um, but as a part of that, you would climb up these things, and they would have you tied to a rope. This is a climbing rope. It's a dynamic rope. It stretches. And this rope can sustain around 25,000 pounds worth of weight. And I was heavier then, but not that heavy. And so as long as that was tied to you and it was tied correctly, there was no way you were getting hurt. I mean, you would have to, you would have to really put effort in. We one time had to do a rescue. Um, and I wasn't there for it. Uh, and, and the gal who was, she was crossing a rope bridge. It was two lines as handholds and then one in the middle. And she was leaning against the ropes. And she managed to unlink herself from the rope system that was holding her up. And she linked onto the, onto the, the bridge. 
And so she was just stuck there, tied to the bridge. And, and like, it was pretty dangerous, actually. Um, but really, otherwise, I mean, aside from something insane like that, it is impossible to hurt yourself doing this. But it is really difficult to remember that that rope is there, right, when you're way up in the air. It is really difficult to remember, oh, wow, it doesn't matter what happens when you're, you know, way up off the ground and trying to trapeze walk across a telephone pole. I mean, it's a completely, can we all agree on this? This is a scary thing. Being way up in the air is scary. Um, and I did training to facilitate groups and everything else. The reason I'm talking about this is we're going to finish up Peter, and Peter is going to offer an admonition and, and some direction. And this is like the, the central theme of the text we're going to look at is no matter what things look like, no matter how scary the moment is, no matter what your situation is, no matter what the people around you are saying, no matter how you're tempted or accused or persecuted or whatever, no matter what is going on, like at the end of the day, we cling to Jesus because he is what saves us. And it's a little like my rope, right? As long as that rope is tied to you, you're not going to die. What gets you is, what gets you is when you start leaning on, like the gal who we had to rescue, she leaned on something that wasn't the safety rope, and she got hooked in. Um, when we did training for, like, zip line, they told us usually guys who get hurt doing zip line will get distracted, and when they move themselves from, like, the high element to the rope to come down, they'll hook into the wrong thing, and they'll get hurt trying to come down on the wrong, on the wrong line, like a support line that holds the pole up, you know, or what have you. I mean, it's a good way to get killed. Um, but it's almost always when you stop paying attention to the thing that saves you, that keeps you safe, that you get in trouble. And so as we dive into Peter here, I want to put this out there as the mindset that Peter is trying to instill. The thing that keeps us safe at the end of the day is Jesus. Um, this short version of the rope, by the way, this was tied to me at, and I was hung up 30 feet off the ground and somebody cut it to get me down as a rescue training. And I remember falling about eight inches, the longest eight inches of my life, like that, you know, three and a half years it took me to fall eight inches. Um, but again, there was another rope that was there to rescue me. And it, it's hard to think about, I'm safe, something is going to catch me when you're falling, right? Um, so we're going to come back to that. We're going to kind of get into our text. Before we start, this is the very last section of Peter's letter. Peter's writing this letter to folks who are under persecution and significant persecution. Um, a lot of them are poor. A lot of them are uh, women or slaves. There are people who have lost social standing as a result of following Christ. There are people who are in danger as a result of following Christ. They are under real persecution. And Peter is offering a lot of advice about persecution. Um, <clears throat> This letter is, is very much like, like rooted in this. Um, there's one important definition. There's a text here that is often like sort of mishandled. And, and there's this school of thought called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is when you sit down and you apply certain rules to texts to like understand them, right? Um, and and we, we read things according to these rules so we can interpret correctly. Every once in a while, I'll watch a sermon like that's really awful, and you'll see where somebody will say something, take a text and be like, oh, well, look, it says that if you give, God will give back to you. So the more money you give my church, the more money God's going to give you. And that would be bad hermeneutics. You all with me? 
Um, in this particular instance, there's a passage about Satan. It is really easy to take this particular passage and personalize it. And we're going to talk about that a little more like accurately and a little more in depth when we get to it, right? But understand, whenever we interpret scripture, there are rules that we follow, right? And we're going to learn a little bit about those rules today, which is very exciting. Everybody loves rules. Um, so <laughs> last week's sermon was about First Peter, it was First Peter 5, the beginning of 5, and it was about pastors and about how like congregations are supposed to deal with pastors and how pa- pastors are supposed to conduct themselves. And um, it, it's online if you didn't see it. It's... Uh, um, it was a fun sermon, <laughs> um, if, you, if you want to go and watch it. Um, the long and short of it is pastors take care of people as Christ's representatives, and people treat the pastor like he's Christ's representative. And, and so we kind of get to the end of this, and Peter ends his little admonition here with a, um, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders, meaning members of the church, submit yourself to the leadership, Um, All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Um, And we talked about this text kind of at length last week. Um, the, the long and short of this, and I'm, I'm including it now because it matters. Um, when we deal with each other, we're supposed to be humble, right? And that's usually what gets us in trouble. Why we fight with each other is because we start pushing for our rights, right? I've never had a fight with my wife where I said, you're right, and I'm wrong, and you better accept it. She's never gotten mad at me for saying that. Is that accurate? I, I, you know, it's very rarely the case that we come at each other from a humble um, perspective, from like a, you are important, and your rights and your needs are more important than mine. Like, it's rare that we come at each other with this attitude and... Um, like and and do it wrong. Like usually, this is something that leads to harmony. And so Peter is talking about dealing with pastors and pastors dealing with the people. And he's saying, "Be humble. Be humble with each other. This is how you're supposed to do it. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble." This is from Proverbs. Um, and I'm actually not going to. I'm going to edit on the way. Uh, it's Proverbs, though. It's Proverbs three thirty-one to thirty-five. Um, he mocks the proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Um, If you want to check this text on your own, it talks about all of these ways that the Lord deals with people who do things incorrectly versus people who act in harmony with his will and with his heart. Like we are called to be like Christ in our dealings with each other. And so, um, well, here I'm going to start talking about this text anyway. Um, For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence, meaning... God fights with people who act wickedly, but he protects people who act in harmony with his will. Um, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous, meaning like people who are wicked, people who are like, like oppress the poor and mistreat people and everything else. Like these people, God is their enemy, but God is on the side of folks who act righteously, who are in his um, in, in right relationship with him and act according to this. And so as Paul is, like our Peter is unpacking this, he's saying, look, um, be humble with each other because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, God is on your team if you are going to act in harmony with how he expects you to. Um, 
we'll come back to James. Uh, humble yourself, therefore, so Peter continues, humbles your, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now watch this. This is kind of the, the pivot text for this passage. Um, and remember what I said. Trust Christ in difficulty. Hold on to him tight. Don't forget that he's the one keeping you safe, right? Be humble in it, um, and he'll take care of you. He will lift you up in good time, or in due time. Now watch this. He is not saying, this would be bad hermeneutics, he is not saying if you trust God in difficulty, he'll reward you by making you rich in this life. Got it? I've seen this preached. It is not biblical. It's just not. Um, over and over again in this book, P- P- Peter has said um, that God will vindicate you in the end of time. Like he vindicated Christ. Like Christ was crucified, died, buried, and rose again. And all of his enemies will be brought before him at the judgment. And they will be brought low. And Christ will be vindicated in his righteousness. Right? This is the moment when, um, I don't know, when you were kids, maybe you remember this. Like when your parents would say, oh, no, Eric was right. Or, oh, no, my parents didn't say that very often. You know, oh, no, we'll do this with Abby and Titus, you know, where you'll pull Abby aside and say, no, Abby was right in this. Titus, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Like, this is not the right way to act. And Abby is vindicated, and she's proud and immediately gloats and gets in trouble. Um, <laughs> the, like, Christ will be vindicated in the long term. All believers who suffer persecution will be vindicated. The people who persecute us and the people who mistreat us and the people who oppose the name of Christ in our lives, they will one day stand before us and they'll be like, oh, wow, you were right. Right? Like you will get that vindication. And when Peter comes to this, he's not talking about in this life. Peter's saying, humble yourself, meaning trust God, let him be in control. Right? Trust that God has the best in mind for you. Allow him to run the show. And, and in the long run, God will lift you up. That might be after you're dead. Right? Like, and that's not a fun thought. But like, that means I have to trust God in the moment. We don't like this. We like the idea of showing people up and making people look dumb. Right? You want to see a great example of this? Sit on Facebook for about five minutes and look for some arguing. Right? And everybody wants to be vindicated. Everybody wants to make the, and like we stop arguing after about 30 seconds and we start dumping on each other and being nasty because I am vindicating myself now because you're stupid and your arguments are stupid and you're obviously Hitler because you don't know what you're talking about. Um, That's the internet does that sometimes. Um, What Peter's saying here is be humble and trust God. This is a little like, all right, does anybody have family or friends who are backseat drivers? John, (laughs) the backseat driver is the person who sits in the passenger seat and does not trust you to drive safely. (laughs) I'm sure there isn't. (laughs) But the backseat driver cannot humbly accept that her husband knows how to operate a motor vehicle correctly. (laughs) Or, or, all right, sorry, I... But, like, because the, there's humility in backing up and saying, you know what you're doing, and I'm going to let you run the show, right? You know what you're doing, and I'm going to – this is why I can't sit when Jeremy teaches youth group. Because I can't sit and listen to somebody else teach without doing it myself. 
And so about five minutes in, I interrupt him, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Eric, shut up. You know, and, and within 15 minutes, I'm sitting up front, and he's like, Eric, just get out of the way. Let me do my thing. Because I'm not humble. I am wicked by nature. Um, humility means backing up and letting the other person be in control. In our lives, this means sometimes people are going to mistreat us because of Christ. That is going to happen if you are real about who you are in Christ. People are going to look at you and they're going to say, I don't agree with you. You are intolerant. You're hateful. You're this. You're that. And they are going to look down on you and they're going to put you in that box. And guess what? If you pour fire and wrath on them, you're not acting like Christ. Right? We're to be humble. We're to back up. We're to be like Christ. We're to point to him over and over again because he's right, not me. And in the long run, I have to trust that when difficulty comes, I will be vindicated in eternity. I don't get to abuse people in order to vindicate myself now because that is not humble. That is not following Christ. That is not obedience to Christ. That is the opposite. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Oh my gosh, I'm taking forever with this first verse. Um, we cast our anxiety on him. We look, we worry, we say, I do not know how I'm going to manage this. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. This point of difficulty I'm encountering, this point of persecution, this point of like wickedness that I have to deal with, Like, how am I going to deal with this? And at the end of the day, we have to trust that the rope ain't going to break. We have to trust that his way is the right way. And sometimes we back up and say, but God, you know, if I just do it my way this one time, but that would be the opposite of what he's talking about here. Um, There are days I sit down to pray, and I am certainly a backseat driver to eternity. Right? God, don't you think it would be better if you... But in reality, I have to trust that God is in charge. I have to trust that some days it is going to be cold, and that cold is good, because God knows what's right. I have to trust that some days it is going to rain, and that that rain is coming at the right time, and it's coming in the right way, and God is in charge. And I don't know what that means, but I trust him. Is that a miserable thing? Yeah. But the rope works or it doesn't. I'm going to go on here. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So be sober-minded means be alert. Pay attention. This is hard. Right? This is hard. Um, The devil, the roaring lion. The church is kind of, um, ooh, the church is kind of schizophrenic when it comes to Satan, right? Like I've met folks where Satan is under every, like, rock and in every bush. I, I worked with a guy once when I was temping in a factory where the guy called every employee in the place Satan because they would not, like, do his job for him. And at the end of the day, like, those guys weren't Satan. They were just guys at work, right? Um, Oh, I didn't get the parking space I want. The devil is against me. Well, maybe not. Um, That having been said, we sometimes err in the other direction. We say, well, you know, this is, 
It might be Satan messing with you, but it might just be that you make dumb decisions and you're screwing your own life up. You know, it could be both, though. Um, we, we like to think in terms of one or the other. Either everything is supernatural or nothing is. In reality, um, it's actually both. Satan is out there. We do have an enemy. We do have an enemy that desires the church to fail, that desires us to fail. Um, I actually started reading Screwtape Letters this week again, and it's a great book. I would highly recommend it. Um, I, I think that, that um, we oftentimes forget that Satan isn't messing with us by, honestly, by making us get flat tires at the wrong time as much as um, by helping us make really poor decisions. Um, we are saved because of Jesus. You all with me? Like Christ carried the weight of my sin, and I am saved because of that. I find comfort in Christ. When I am depressed, I turn to Christ. I mean, I, I you know, sometimes talk to my friends, and I sometimes there are other things I do, but I flee to Christ. When I, um, when I struggle, I go to Christ. When I am anxious, I go to Christ. But we oftentimes pick other things to protect ourselves with. Um, I think the big popular one right now is political power. If the right guys are in office, we're safe. Anybody guilty of this one? Or we trade safety in Christ for safety in worldly power? Um, I, 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 uh, I used an example years ago of a guy who um, was attacked by a bear in, in Canada. This is like one of the first few sermons I did here. He was in Canada. He was fishing. He was attacked by a grizzly bear. The grizzly bear did not kill him, which is a sure sign that God saved his life. And he spent the next 10 years and like $2 million building a bear-proof suit to protect himself against bears for the future. And then that bear-proof suit was repossessed by the bank when they finally started coming and collecting his debts. And so he never ran into another bear, but creditors... Oh, my goodness, they are a bear. But he put so much stock in his ability to protect himself that he left the back door. And actually, it's not even the back door. It's the front door. <laughs> you invite creditors in. Um, we can flee to other things and, and oftentimes forget. Like, we think, oh, you know, this makes me happy right now. My money makes me feel secure and happy. Um, Worldly pleasure, food. How many? I mean, I, I'll even own this. I have had a stressful couple of weeks, and I have eaten everything. Um, and how much easier is it to sit down and eat a box of donuts than it is to spend time praying? How much easier is it to sit down in front of the Internet and spend half an hour looking for a couple of pictures that will make you feel better about life? Right? Or... Pursue relationships or sex or new toys or whatever. There's so many things we chase after. And essentially what we do every time is we say, well, God, I know that rope is going to save me, but I bet I can find something else to keep me safe. Guess what? Nothing else is going to work. And so when the scriptures say, like, hey, 
be sober-minded, be aware. We're clinging to Christ to safety because the devil is out there. He is prowling around. He's a roaring lion. He's persecuting people all over the world. Like there are places in the world right now where believers are meeting and worshiping, like in China. They're meeting, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're hearing the word preached, they own Bibles, and there's the distinct possibility halfway through the service somebody's going to kick the door in and everybody's going to disappear forever. Like this happens. It is the case like in, in um, India here recently, there have been a handful of churches that have just been burned down outright. Like that ain't going to happen to us probably, right? Um, the, the lion is out there. The lion is devouring believers. In our neck of the woods, the lion is a little different. The lion is compromise. The lion is relying on ourselves and, you know, the, the stockpile of guns I have in the closet um, to keep me safe. The lion is, um, you know, well, God desires for me to be holy, but surely God wouldn't be, like, having a problem with this. Doesn't God want me to be happy? I, uh, I met a, actually, I worked for a pastor who worked on the um, disciplinary committee for the presbytery in Indiana, and he said, you know, we would meet pastors who would say, yeah, I had seven affairs you know, cheated on my wife repeatedly while I was pastoring. But wouldn't God want me to be happy? Look at everything I've done for him. Nope. <laughs> and the short answer is nope. But that is clipping into something else instead of relying on Christ to save us. Um, at the end of the day, it is Christ that makes us safe. I love this passage because it's quoted so often, but oftentimes like we miss one of the central ideas here. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can, or with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Um, and we like this image because it's getting ready for battle to go out and fight our lions. But at the end of the day, all of those things that are, are things that God is doing, right? Faith, like that's trusting God's going to protect me. The sword of the spirit, I'm not wielding the spirit. The spirit's doing all the fighting, Right? Like, I'm just trusting he's going to fight on my behalf. The breastplate of righteousness, this is literally, I am in right relationship with God, and so God protects my heart. Everything is God doing the work. The safety is in the rope. The safety is in Christ. Everything that saves us when we're in difficulty, when we're in persecution, when we're in everything else, is Christ. And we have to run back to him over and over again. When we find things that give us comfort and we begin to lean on them. Anybody ever fight with their spouse or have a really bad day and you sit down and waste about an hour playing Candy Crush and suddenly the world feels better? Oh, I'm sure there's a couple of us, right? I don't like Candy Crush. So it's y'all. It's Twitter in my world. Um, or Facebook, or one of the other hundred things I waste time doing instead of being a man who like pursues Christ for my comfort. Um, we can get lost in this, and that lion is out there, and he's growling, and he's roaring, and we think, oh, I feel better because I can do this. But at the end of the day, that's just wandering into his den, right? It is. And believers often just jump right into the den. They say, I, I meet folks who will say, oh, well, surely... 
um, God loves everyone, so I can dismiss all of these sins these people are committing in order to, like, well, we're not supposed to pour fire on them or kill them, but we're supposed to love them. But part of loving people is telling them this is who Christ is. This is what holiness is. This is how salvation happens, and you need it. My daughter, who I love very much, loves candy almost more than anything else in the world and junk food because she is my daughter. My wife and I have very different attitudes regarding this. My wife says, you need to eat vegetables. Like, you must eat vegetables. And I say, you know, it's a lot easier to get her to eat chicken nuggets. Right? All right. (laughs) It's a lot easier to get her to eat Hot Pockets, which have no nutritional value, but count as dinner. Um, The point being, one of us is being a lot more loving. I'm giving her what she wants. My wife gives her what she needs. Right? And a lot of times we'll back up and say, I don't care what Christ says they need. I'm going to do what makes me popular. And I'm the popular parent because I don't force vegetables on the children. Um, But I'm wrong. There are truths we have to cling to. There are truths we have to run back to because these truths are the only thing keeping us upright. When we abandon those things in favor of nonsense, in favor of platitudes or popularity, in favor of um, self-indulgence or sexual sin or um, you know, spending money on things that we don't need in and, and, like, order to make ourselves feel happy or whatever else, or bitterness. A lot of folks run to bitterness because it feels powerful to be angry at your spouse, Right? It feels powerful to be angry at this politician or that politician or that jerk who said this or whatever. It feels powerful, but at the end of the day, it's our power, not his. Um, Oh, actually, I have to finish reading these texts. And all, or excuse me, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. So Peter outright says, all of your strength, all of your security, all of your everything, it comes in Christ. It comes by holding on to the rope and knowing I belong to Jesus because he bought me with his blood shed on the cross. That's what gives me value. That's what saves me. That's what perseveres in me. That is the armor I put on. That is the weapon I wield. It is Christ over and over and over again and nothing else matters. And I have to be humble to do that. You know why? Because Christ drives. Like, he doesn't put up with us like, oh, well, I'm going to take the wheel. And I have to trust that he's in charge. And I might lean over and say, hey, you know, couldn't we turn left here? Hey, there's a cow in that field over there. Don't hit it. You know, but at the end of the day, Christ is in charge. And I have to let him in, be in charge. And I have to be humble in that. And that is miserable. And it's hard. Um, Peter finishes his letter, and I'm going to just do the last couple of verses here because I need to finish reading the letter, so I've preached the whole book. Um, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the truth, the true grace of God. Stand fast in it, 
She who is in Babylon, meaning the church in Rome, uh, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. It's not his actual literal son. It is Mark, the guy who is one of the uh, Paul's followers who does stuff. Anyway, uh, greet him or greet one another with a holy kiss of love or with a kiss of love. Some translations have it, a holy kiss. This is not a standard, by the way. You can greet each other without kissing. Got it? Um, it was just an ancient custom. It's popular still in the Middle East. We don't really kiss to greet each other, and please do not kiss me. Um, I drink a lot of coffee, and sometimes I eat garlic. Uh, <laughs> peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so he ends. So what do we do with this text? Well, uh, we're going to do grow again, right? Like, get used to it. This is what I'm using. Um, first off, we have to give it to God. Like, the question over and over again is, what are you looking to for salvation and comfort? What are you looking to to save you, right? Is it, is it a pistol? Is it, you know, is it like huge meals that make you feel better about life? Is it the fact that you're better than the guy next to you? Like, or is it Jesus? Like, are you fleeing to Christ when you're stressed or when you're in fear or when you're struggling or when everything is falling apart? Like, Proverbs gives us this, uh, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Like we run to Christ and we flee to him because he is the thing that keeps us from falling, right? So we give it to God like we over and over again. This is, by the way, this is an everyday thing. You have to do this every day. You have to back up and say, Christ is in charge. I will trust him in this. I will trust him in this situation. I'm worried right now, but I know Christ has it um, over and over again. R is repent and renew. Um, so here's the question. Some of you guys have sore, sore toes this morning, right? I, I, I poked some of you right where you're at. Maybe I didn't. Um, there are times the Spirit talks to us in sermons. It's not because I'm clever. I'm sitting at your living room table uh, or dining room table. Um, listening to your conversations. It's that the Spirit like is doing His thing. If you have been convicted, like how have you fallen short in this? How have you fallen short in trusting Christ in everything? Like, Are you finding peace in your bitterness and your anger? Are you indulging in the flesh? Are you compromising your faith and your belief? Are you like, like running to sexual sin? Are you doing these things? Like, What are you doing that is outside of the harmony like of what God has commanded us to do? Like, like, repent and do better, right? Repent means to turn around and go the other way, right? And so, like, if I have discovered I flee to my phone, and I do. I have a bad day, man. I will waste a ton of time on Facebook, right? And waste is the right word. Like, or I will run to, to you know, run to one thing or another, to food or whatever. Like, how am I doing this? Talk to God, confess it, confess it to a brother, and then do better. Like, turn around and go the other way, live different. That's hard, right? It's hard. Um, sometimes it requires that we be in community. Um, I have some scripture to suggest, like own it, meaning put it in your mind, put it in your heart. This will create a different person in you. Own these ideas. You want to read some stuff? Psalm 1, Psalm 9, Psalm 18, Psalm 46, Psalm 23. All of them are on, like, right on the nose for this stuff, right? Trust in Christ. Lean on him. He will save you. I know I'm a little long today, and people are just walking out now. Um, but I'm, I'm nearing the end here. 
Uh, Proverbs has an awful lot of this, trusting in God. This, I'd suggest 14, 26 to 27, or 18, 10 to 12. These are in your bulletin. There should be a handout, like a little bookmark. If you can't read it because the text is too small, there's large print versions in the lobby. For those of us who are old and have old eyes, Craig. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of book suggestions as well if you want to read up on this. The Screwtape Letters is one of the best books I've ever read. But on the topic of like Satan pulling us away and distracting us and getting us lost in ourselves... Uh, the Life You've Always Wanted is a book on spiritual disciplines. Uh, I have several copies, and I will happily loan them out. Um, and the Daniel Coder is a collection of devotionals on the book of Daniel discussing how does a believer behave in a post-Christian society. There's a fantastic book, uh, about six weeks' worth of devotions in it. I have an extra copy. I will loan to you if you want to do this. Um, like, But you need to own these things in order to change. And then in addition is praying about it. Like, there are a lot of times I have prayed and said, God, show me where I'm falling short, and, like, things will come out, and it's like, wow, I'm really, really not nailing it. Um, and finally, W, work it into your life. If you have false escapes you run to, get rid of them. Right? Figure out how to lean on the rope, how to trust Christ to save you every time. Um, find them and do it. If you just think it, it is nothing. Um, putting it into action, working into your life. Pursue holiness in your personal conduct. Like if you, per, if you flee to the flesh, if you flee to porn or, or um, bitterness or anger or self-indulgence or hoarding or whatever as a way of like making yourself feel better, like take it out. Be holy. Um, talk to other believers. Believe it or not, this is the best way to grow spiritually. It is the hardest thing you could possibly do. But it is one of the best things you can do. Confession and finding like, like direction in other believers is a huge deal. We are a community in Christ because we help each other. Um, and then be a part of like a fellowship of believers, not just the church on Sundays. I have f- folks that I get together with on a regular basis that I talk to who tell me, Eric, you're screwing up. Eric, have you thought about this? Eric, I'll pray with you about that. Eric, whatever. Like we... We find accountability and comfort in the body because that's how we're designed to to be. Peter actually ends the letter with that on purpose because we can fight the devil together. We can find strength together, but if we stand alone, we drown. I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. But it isn't noon yet, so way early. Uh, (laughs) Heavenly Father, I pray, thank you so much that we we have Christ we can trust in. We have Christ who can catch us when we fall and hold us upright. Um, we have Christ uh, to, to, to flee to when, when the lion comes out and, and intimidates us and attempts to devour us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us like the ability to flee to him over and over again. Give us strength to chase after you. Um, in Christ's name, amen. Yes.